Welcome to the Answer Religious Era show. My name is Brian Garlock. It is so good to see you today. And this is our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, now is the time to ask that question. You can email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com or private message us on our Facebook page. Again, that is questions at answeringreligiousera.com or private message us, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousera. That is the best way to get a hold of us. We'll take your live uh, Bible question and we'll uh, answer it with a uh, Bible answer. That is our goal here on the Answer Religious Era show is to use the Bible and to stay away from our opinion, our think-sos, but to give you what the Word of God says, what God has revealed through the Holy Spirit. And so we go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live Bible Q&A. And so if we don't get to your question today, we will uh, next week. And uh, if you haven't seen your question in a while, we would encourage you to either resend it or check out our past archived uh, episodes, whereas we may have already dealt with your question. We do want to let you know about our podcast after the show. Maybe you're not able to watch us live. You can go to your favorite podcast uh, platform, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, uh, those big uh, po uh, podcast platforms, and you can check us out after the show. We will upload the audio so you can listen to us anytime. Also, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. is the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan, and so we would encourage you to check that out. If you're interested in having uh, something to encourage you in the mornings as you get ready for work, as you're traveling to work, um, Mark uh, does a daily show uh, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. And it's 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 a great show. It's the daily answer. It's what you need in about 20 minutes or less. And so it really gets your day started and and get you going. Uh, we would encourage you also, if you want to come on the show today, uh, perhaps you don't want to send in your question via email or private messenger. You can come on and uh, talk with us live on air. We'd love to have you. You can see the instructions for that on the video descriptions on the YouTube and Facebook. So just follow those instructions. You can come on the show and talk to us. And we'd, we'd love to take your question and maybe go back and forth with you and, and help you uh, work through the questions that you may have here on the Answer Religious Era show. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Brian, I'm doing great. I'm slow on the mute button. Man, I was trying to get over there like, where did that go? And it's great to see you. Great to see you, Brian. I think Absolutely. it's two for two. Two for two, we got a streak going here. Yep. Everything's Good going well guys. so far. Bob, how's life? Life is uh, life. Uh, <laughs> Good to see Terry. I haven't seen Terry since last night. And uh, I haven't seen the, the rest of you, I guess, in about a week. Maybe it's been longer than that since I saw Brian Haynes. But, uh, yeah, good to see all of you. Good to be on here. Terry, are you losing your mind by getting rid of all your books? It is. It's just real blank right now. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Well, we better get yeah, started. We've got a lot of questions uh, to get to this morning. Uh, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. And uh, Mark Dunnigan, unmute yourself there and. Why don't you handle that? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we're so grateful for this day, this new day, which has blessings in it. Be with the Christians that are in Florida that are uh, experiencing a hurricane right now. We pray that you would keep them safe. We also pray that the people in our country, that more people would turn to you and pick up the Bible and start reading it, maybe for the first time in their life, and that we would be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us and to give an answer that has grace and salt built into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Appreciate the prayer. All right. This is our live Bible Q&A. Again, email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. Private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answering religious air or come on the show talk to us 
by following the instructions there on the video description. It's meantime first. All right, today's meme uh, is going around. It says, begins with a talking snake, ends with a seven-headed dragon. The reference there is from Genesis when Adam and Eve uh, talk to Satan as he is in the um, form of a snake and then ends with the book of Revelation with a seven-headed dragon. And then at the bottom of the meme, it says nonfiction. So it's definitely mocking um, Christians. It's mocking the Bible. Those who would say that, hey, we, we believe this is a, a true inspired account of God and his people of God and the salvation of man and the history of, of mankind and, and such. And so we want to deal with this, uh, with this meme as it's going around and, uh, you know, atheists, skeptics, they love to, to mock Christians and try to destroy the faith and cause doubt in the minds of, of, of God's people and those who would come to God. And so, uh, we certainly need to deal with these kind of memes from time to time. Uh, Terry Benton, let's start with you. Okay. I'd say, first of all, you assume that anything that you can't see, touch, or feel is not real. Right. Now, Ephesians chapter 6 says there are forces in the heavenly places and that there is a struggle between those invisible forces and uh, forces that we can see with our eyes. They play out on the earth. And so I would say if such is real, and they are, the Bible affirms that, and history seems to show that, then it looks to me like the Bible is trying to present itself uh, in a historical way, giving you persons, names, places, genealogies, in fact. So the story that you see in Genesis is not written like some kind of fiction. It's written like a historical narrative of what took place. Now, whether it takes place every day and you see it now, that's beside the point. Uh, those forces sometimes work into this realm. And if the powers that be are allowed to, uh, to work and create the universe, then those forces that created the, the universe can certainly operate within it whenever they so, they so desire. In this case, uh, the uh, person of Satan is using apparently some uh, serpent and, uh, and speaks through that serpent and has the power to do so. God in the book of Numbers used Balaam's donkey and spoke through that donkey. God has the power to do that. And he can allow Satan a certain amount of power to do uh, things that uh, are attributed to him. So if you just dismiss God altogether, then you're going to say fiction. And that's going to be your explanation for the Bible. The Bible is going to present itself as a historical narrative, giving you times, places, uh, like we said, genealogical records to check out. Those are, thing, those are attributes of someone trying to be accurate historically, not presenting a fiction, not saying once upon a time in a faraway land, uh, giving you nothing of, sub, of substance. Now, when I look at the Bible and I see uh, the talking snake, I, my, I might say, well, I don't usually see that, but I'm seeing it now because 
the power of Satan is using that now. And God told me it happened. So I, I have no doubt about it, that it did happen. Uh, the other person, though, uh, does not uh, believe in the existence of God. So does he believe his theory is nonfiction? For example, he believes that nothing created everything. Is that fiction? Well, it seems to me like that's more fiction than a talking, than a Satan using a talking serpent. I, I can more easily believe in Satan using a, a serpent, then I can believe that nothing created everything. Absolutely. I can believe, um, I can believe in God talking through a donkey a lot easier than I can believe that nothing created life and life then evolved every kind of life and, uh, and finally gave us intelligence, uh, rational beings people that can think and also have morals. Uh, where did this come from? Material created thought, material thought of created moral sense of right and wrong. Uh, that's more fiction than, uh, than anything he would say in, in the Bible is, looks like fiction. And then on the other end of the spectrum, he has the seven-headed dragon. Well, that's in a book that's talking figuratively and talking symbolically and and every book has a right to do that when you're trying to use symbolism to express another idea and so i would look at the the bible uh, more carefully than he has done and uh, when you do so you'll find that it is indeed it may use some fictions to create a, uh, a story about some reality that God want us, wants us to know. He might use parables and he might use something uh, of a, a symbolic nature to create in our minds a, a thought that God wants to deliver to us. But that's the nature of communication. We do that all the time. And that's the way God has communicated to us. So those are my thoughts. Yes, the Bible is nonfiction. It's nonfiction. Hey, great, great thoughts there, Mark. Yeah, uh, Brian, you know, it's interesting that, you know, well, what Jesus think about it? Well, thy word is truth. Hey, Jesus, Adam and Eve real? Yes, Matthew 19. All that stuff in Genesis did happen. What about the flood? Yeah, Matthew 24. That's all real stuff. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. The other thing. E e Brian, Eve doesn't have a problem with the talking serpent. <laughs> she's not going like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And so if she doesn't have a problem and she's there, I think Terry makes a great point. I think the theory of evolution has a ton of problems. Everything came from nothing. Life came from non-life. Over millions of years, a frog becomes a prince. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's fiction. The other thing is that look out in the world, watch the news. No Satan out there? Is there no dragon out there? No, you got to be blind. There's a dragon out there devouring people. And I think from the eye test, you can see that clearly. Those are my thoughts. Appreciate it. Brian, you got anything? Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll just add one thing. It's kind of ironic if you took a biology book and kind of building on what Terry said, it starts by saying there was nothing. And then it ends with talking monkeys. I mean, what are we really saying? Uh, you know, and, and somebody's going to say it's nonfiction too. Uh, people believe what they choose to believe. That's an important idea. 
it even builds a little bit again on what Terry said about the way people think. We're uh, our society is broken into different ways of of dissimilating truth. We have the uh, the idea of the modernist who says whatever is tangible, substantial, has substance. That's what's reality. The postmodernist says truth is uh, relative and there is no actual truth. But but those who believe the Bible are pre-modernist, believing that the idea of truth is something that is revealed. And that's what Mark was saying a moment ago. Uh, many people are going to say, well, my way of thinking is best. But ironically, the modernist and the pro-modernist uh, or the post-modernist are at war right now uh, over things like gender or or uh, different ideas about how to explain the reason we exist. Uh, it's only us who believe in a revealed word that can answer every question, where we came right. from, where we're going, what it's all about. Yeah, great thoughts there, Bob, good. You know, the apostle Paul also uh, treated the talking serpent as if he were, as if that were real nonfiction. When he said to the Corinthians, I pray that the serpent who beguiled Eve or deceived Eve does not do the same uh, to you. And so uh, the serpent there is personified. And that's for a reason. The reason I believe that Terry stated it was Satan using that physical serpent as a means to communicate to Eve. And so that particular event does not imply that the Bible writers thought that serpents could talk generally. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter uh, 12, we're told that the, uh, the dragon of old, the serpent of old, was Satan. And so we're told in Revelation chapter 12, and I don't see how you can get an older serpent than the serpent that uh, slithered into the Garden of Eden and, and tempted Eve. And so uh, these are all, even, even though the book of Revelation is filled with figures, that in that particular uh, reference, Revelation chapter 12, the figure of the dragon is explained as Satan. And so that was Satan in the garden. I appreciate that. I do want to say that uh, if there are any atheists or skeptics that are watching, tuning in uh, today and, and agree with this meme, we believe, everyone on this panel believe that Jesus the Christ rose from the dead. And we believe that we can prove the resurrection um, by looking at the facts and looking at scripture and outside sources. And if the resurrection is true, and we believe it is, if, if the resurrection is true, then everything that Jesus said is true. And Jesus goes back to the garden multiple times in his teachings. So do the apostles. And they establish multiple biblical doctrines based on Genesis 1 through 11. And so, uh, and well, all of Genesis really. So uh, if, if, if we can help you come to faith in a risen Christ, then that's going to take care of a talking snake or a, a, a dragon there in Revelation. So reach out to us, questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on Facebook, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. And uh, let us help you come to faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And it will take care of all of the miracles that are found within, within Scripture. Appreciate that, guys. Uh, if you need any more clarification on, on the answers that we're given, please reach out to us as well. All right. Um, yeah. Chris Kramer, uh, going back to what was already said, how is that any less believable than believing we all evolved from monkeys? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's start with our very first uh, question for today. Uh, why did God bless David and Bathsheba? And let me give some context to uh, the questioner here. Uh, she was concerned because, um, as you know, David committed adultery. He committed murder, uh, killing the, the husband of Bathsheba. And 
then you see uh, that they're blessed with children. You know, first off, he, he takes her as a wife and he has already has multiple wives. And then uh, and, and then she's given children uh, or they're given children as well by God and, and ultimately blessed. Uh, and she's included in the genealogy and all those uh, sort of things. So why did God bless David and Bathsheba? What's your thoughts on that, guys? Well, I would think uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is that God had already made some promises that the Messiah is going to come through David's David's seed. Right. right? So that plan has got to stick because God can't fail in any of his promises. But it also provides an opportunity to show the long suffering and the compassion and the uh, the forgiveness that God wants to extend. He's not a God who is just waiting for a chance to destroy. Once you make your first mistake, uh, that you mess up, then God is ready to destroy you. That that's not the God that the Bible describes. I see in, in David making this statement in, in Psalm 32, he says, blessed is the man, a man, a, per, a, a man is very blessed who sins are forgiven. That's the blessed person. And David is thinking about himself and how blessed and fortunate he is to have forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is conditional. And he writes another Psalm, Psalm 51. And there he's grieving. It, he's so disappointed in himself that he messed up the way he did. And it was weighing heavily on him. And when it weighs heavily, that means you've got a conscience and you haven't seared it. And if your conscience is still working, you're going to cry out to God for mercy. And you're going to look for God's mercy and you're going to appeal to God for mercy. Well, that's the kind of heart David had. He, he was a man after God's own heart. He was always thinking about God's. Now, yes, he messed up. He made a He had a moment of weakness and he lost uh, his direction for a while, but the mercy of God is what he was relying upon. And so this provided an opportunity to show God's mercy, to show the blessedness of forgiveness when there's genuine repentance. And Psalm 51 shows that there was, and it shows that God is able to work through uh, his long suffering uh, to keep his promise of blessing the entire world. So I think that's, those are my thoughts about why God bless David and Bathsheba? Uh, because that's the way God's mercy works with his justice. Amen. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that the questioner may have had in mind that uh, why did God bless David and Bathsheba in their adultery, which God certainly did not. Uh, they were punished. They were disciplined for the adultery. Uh, Bathsheba bore a child and the child fell sick immediately and died within seven days. And this was a big heartache for David and Bathsheba, as many of us know, probably someone who has lost a child, even though we may not individually have, have lost a child personally. Uh, and so, but again, as Terry pointed out, there was a longstanding blessing that God had uh, promised that God had made to David. And, uh, and Solomon was the offspring of David and Bathsheba after after they married. And when they married, uh, that marriage was legitimate because her husband had died, even though David had murdered him. And David did suffer because of that as well. 
because of his children, the way his children behaved, especially Amnon and Absalom. Amnon uh, seduced his half-sister Tamar. And then Absalom, uh, Tamar's full brother, killed Amnon for that. And later Absalom rebelled against David and uh, he was killed by Jonathan, David's, or not Jonathan, but Joab, David's general, when he got his hair caught in a, a tree limb and, and that tore David up. Uh, Absalom, oh Absalom, my son Absalom. Uh, he cried as he as he held his son's lifeless body. And so to say that, that God did not punish David and Bathsheba is, is in error, or that David did not punish David is in error. But again, the longstanding promise that one would spring from David's loins to sit upon David's throne, which was the throne of God, which Jesus is sitting upon today as the uh, ultimate seed of David, son of David, and, uh, and descendant also of Bathsheba. Appreciate it. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, just a quick comment. I think this also speaks to the idea that God's forgiveness is total. First uh, John chapter one and verse nine, a cleansing of all unrighteousness. God doesn't say, David, I forgive you, but you know, I'm always going to kind of hold this against you. Or you know what? I'm always going to kind of uh, hold back on things. Uh, David uh, confessed his sin. He wrote us a, a beautiful Psalm in that confession. God says, I forgive you. God's forgiveness isn't halfway. And that's a wonderful thing for us to consider too. All right. Good thoughts. Uh, we've got a lot of questions. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think the word blessed, I don't really see that showing up in the text that he blessed uh, Bathsheba and David. Uh, there were serious consequences. It, it looks like this is one of those places where God, as God, alters his own consequences is that the, the penalty for adultery and murder was death. And God says, I'm going to intervene here. And I'm going to give another penalty. I'm not sure, Brian, it might have been easier to die at that point for David because the rest of David's life looks incredibly miserable. And I don't know if you could call it blessed. The, the questioner might have said, why is David allowed to keep Bathsheba? Yeah. And the thing to that is, well, her husband's dead. I know. I know David had a hand in murdering him, but he's dead. But I don't find that David and Bathsheba profit really at all from... The relationship it does not look like well and they lived happily ever after they did not live happily ever after right and sometimes living and suffering the consequences is worse than actually being just stoned at the moment so those are my thoughts good thoughts there appreciate the follow-up uh next question it's a live question that was adam a prophet that's an interesting question who wants it well, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever called the prophet. You know, Enoch is called the prophet in the book of Jude. Adam really doesn't speak much at all. In fact, that seems to be his problem. <laughs> he doesn't. He is there and completely silent. You know, Adam, where are you when Eve is being tempted, or or what are you, where are the words out of your mouth when Eve has given you that forbidden fruit? So, I mean, Eve, Eve talks in Genesis four and give thanks to God for the birth of like Cain and Abel. But I don't find Adam saying anything, Brian. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, and I guess you need to define what you mean by prophet. I mean, you've got foretellers and forth tellers. I mean, you've got those who reveal revelation and those who uh, are foretelling the, the future. And Adam obviously had the revelation of God, and he was supposed to teach Eve, but it doesn't it doesn't say. Brian, you got anything? Or Terry, Bob? Well, he's a family head. Yes, he's I'm a type of Christ. 
but that doesn't uh, necessarily fit in the, the category of a prophet. So I'm not, I'm not sure there's evidence that he was a prophet in the same sense that he's a spokesman, a mouthpiece for God, maybe like, uh, like, um, Aaron was a mouthpiece for Moses and was and, and Moses was a prophet uh, and Aaron was Moses prophet spokesman. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure that we have evidence of that, although he is a type of Christ in that he's the head of the human race. Uh, and Jesus is the uh, is the antitype, the real thing, the real head of humanity. Uh, so there is typology and there is leadership there, but I'm not, I'm not sure the word prophet fits, uh, Adam. Bob, Jesus. He certainly made no predictions in the Garden of Eden. But uh, as a matter of fact, after they were expelled from the Garden, the only thing we're really told about Adam and Eve is that the, Adam lived 930 years and had uh, sons and daughters. And uh, which would imply, of course, that Eve also had sons and daughters. We're not told how many. We know they had at least three sons, Adam, Cain, and Seth. But I, I don't, I don't see how anybody can say in any uh, direct sense that Adam was a, a prophet. Well, Chris, Chris Kramer here comments, uh, which is interesting. Islam teaches that Adam is a prophet. So this may be where the questioner um, is asking this question from that from that context. All right. Uh, if you need more clarification on that, especially from the Islam aspect, uh, please uh, uh, send us a message, message there, sir. All right. Next question uh, for today, please explain second Corinthians 12, two through four. Some individuals are saying all souls upon death go to Hades. I was not taught this as a child and cannot bring myself to believe this. All right. Uh, who wants that one? Well, I would say, I would say Hades is just a general term that means the unseen realm of the spirits. So all people that die go to Hades. Jesus went to Hades. Everybody that dies goes to Hades. But Jesus also, when he died and went to Hades, was in paradise, told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. But apparently a paradise is also in that unseen realm, that area that we generally called Hades. So you can be in Hades and paradise. You can be in Hades and in torment. Uh, Luke chapter 16 shows a man was in Hades. He lifted up his eyes in torment. It depends on where you go in that unseen realm. And so in this passage, second Corinthians, Paul, Paul is uh, speaking of his credentials as a, as an eyewitness apostle and how God gave him special uh, insight gave him special uh, opportunity to be in a, a zone that that he would not normally have been in, and so he was caught up. He said, "I don't know if this was a, a vision or what or what," but he was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up to paradise. So he saw something in a realm that you don't normally see. So I would say yes. Uh, he was allowed to see something we don't normally see, uh, but he saw into paradise. Now, does that mean uh, the, the question is, I, I don't know how you could be in Hades and paradise at the same time, but you can because Jesus was in paradise and in Hades at the same time. 
Terry, those are good thoughts. Uh, one thing on the question, Brian, is that the person said, I can't bring myself to believe that. Uh, well, you're going to have to work on that. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, okay. That, that doesn't mean it's not true. Okay. And I wasn't taught it as a child. Okay. Well, there's a lot of things I wasn't taught as a child that I, I, I re now realize I needed to be taught. So those are a couple of things that kind of get straight before that. But Terry makes a good point. In Luke 16, we have a realm called Hades. And don't think like hell. A lot of people think Hades is just Hades and hell, Hades and hell. But Hades, as Terry noted, is the unseen realm of the dead. There are two compartments there, torment and paradise. That's where Jesus and the thief go. Apparently, Paul's talking about the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I know there are people, Brian, that believe that when Jesus was resurrected, at least the good part of Hades was emptied out, and now people immediately go to heaven when they die. That is Christians. I don't know. In Acts chapter 2, I find Peter citing a prophecy in Psalm 16 that talked about the resurrection of Christ. His soul was not left in left in Hades and neither did his flesh see corruption and David is the writer and Peter says that that passage does not apply to David because David is still dead and buried and to me the necessary inference there is that and David is still in Hades uh, to, to me that the argument that Peter makes there would not make sense if yeah David's body is still there but David's no longer in Hades it seems like a necessary inference of Acts chapter 2 after the resurrection of Christ that the Hadean realm is still there and intact and in the book of Revelation chapter 20 I don't find Hades being emptied out until the final day so those are my thoughts on that well I agree with what has been said uh, by Mark and Terry uh, it does seem to me like in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul is not talking about Hades so much as he is talking about heaven uh, the inexpressible words that he heard we, we don't know who spoke them but uh, he was not permitted to tell them I, it just to me that those would be the words of God that he had heard while he was in the third heaven which usually is thought to be the, the place where God resides and not the place of comfort for the uh for the faithful dead, such as Abraham's bosom or uh, or paradise, as it is used in that context. So to me here, the word paradise is referring to the third heaven, the place where God is. And while he was there, he heard these inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. And so we don't know what those words were because he never wrote them down. He never told anybody about them, presumably. But that's the only place I think I might might depart from what was said. Brian, you, got, you want to add yeah, something? Um, what, just want to add one thing uh, here. Uh, I don't always know the answers on things like this. And I appreciate the fact that Paul even kind of is hinting that he doesn't know the answers. But when I run across a difficult passage, one that I'm kind of pondering the meaning of and I'm not sure about, one thing I consider is I have to think about what it's not saying. And one thing we have to say is that it's not talking about the idea. Paul's not saying that, you know, and, and Mark has already kind of touched on this, that when we die, we instantly go to heaven. And the reason we can say that confidently is the word of God tells us in places like John 14, one of my favorite passages, because it's easy to understand. Jesus says, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'll come back and take you there. Well, what does that mean? Well, First Thessalonians chapter 4 or uh, other passages speak about the resurrection of the dead. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us the resurrection of the dead is one of the fundamental principles of Christ. 
And the resurrection of the dead, that is all the dead rising from the graves. Jesus speaks about it repeatedly. Well, obviously that hasn't happened yet. So the, the whole concept of what could this mean? Well, we can say what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean the idea that, you know, when we die, we're instantly taken to heaven because we're still waiting for a resurrection. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what that means happens the moment I die. You know, the, the, the concepts of Hades, Hades, if it's, you know, uh, how that functions. But I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that I'm instantly judged. I'm instantly taken to my eternal destination because Jesus very easily and plainly said that that last day, the day of resurrection, the day of judgment, the day of the destruction of all things, that last day is the day that I get to meet Jesus and go home with him. All right. Thank you for that. Our next question here. We got another live question. We want to take this kind of related to some of these things. Um, if the dead are already risen, who are the dead in Christ that will rise first when written in first Thessalonians four and verse 16? Yeah, I think he's just, uh, he's making a point. It seems to me uh, the dead yeah. are not already risen, but if they are, well, who would these people be? And uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I don't think the dead are already risen. Uh, that's still in the future. And therefore, uh, the ones that are mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 are those dead, those who've already died and we're still waiting uh, uh, to be risen from the dead. That thing is still going to happen. Jesus talked about that being in the last day. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, he says it happens in the end. In the end, uh, there will be the resurrection from the dead. Uh, we haven't reached the end yet, and we haven't reached the last day, and therefore the dead haven't already risen. If it had, then there wouldn't be any more days. There wouldn't be any more life here. There wouldn't be any more living people now because the last day is when all that occurs. Yeah, in Second Timothy chapter 2 and 17 and 18, that's actually there were people arguing that the resurrection had already taken place. And, and Paul says, and that's false doctrine. Verse 18, men who have gone astray from the truth saying the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith in some. Okay. So yeah, Holy Spirit's already spoken on that. Anyone who walks around says, Hey, resurrection's already taken place. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Just like someone says, there's a spaceship behind that comet. Have a roll of quarters and your tennis shoes on, and it's going to show up. And whoa, whoa, whoa. What do I need those quarters for? <laughs> <laughs> That's my thought, Brian. All right. Appreciate it. Um, our next question uh, has to do with revelation. We got a lot of revelation. And uh, let me get it pulled up here. Uh, we are in great need of standard materials on thousand years reign, Revelation 21 through 6. Uh, just real quick for you all to answer this. I know he's asking for material. We, we've got your contact. And so we'll we'll send you some material. I'm, I'm sure everyone on this panel uh, can get you plenty of material on, on Revelation 20. But let's uh, let's go ahead and maybe give him some quick uh, answers that he can he can start studying now and help the audience as well. Well, Brian, just one thing. I'm not sure what it means by standard. If by standard, he means like, I just need like the official view on this. O okay, but there is no, that is, there is no church out there or headquarters that gives an official view. If standard means good materials, solid materials, fine. But if you're saying like, hey, I just need what the official view is. Okay, you're going to have to study it 
and listen, read materials and things like that, because there is no one out there that puts out, you might say, this is not like Mormonism or the Joe Witnesses that have their standard official view on this or that. It's okay. What does the Bible teach on this? And so that would be the first thing I would kind of note just on the word standard. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to make some observations about Revelation 20. It's kind of culminating a series of events in the vision. You take down the harlot in chapter 17. The harlot has been uh, working against God's people, God's saints. And so he takes down this enemy. And then the beast is the one that has been used, been ridden by the harlot. And the beast then is taken down in chapter 18 and 19, 19 especially. And so one by one, the enemies of God's people are now taken down or limited. Now we come to the dragon, uh, Satan, who has given this power to the beast, the Roman Empire and the, and the Jewish uh, nation in particular centered in Jerusalem. He's taken each of these enemies. He supplied them with power to work against God's people. And now we come to chapter 20 and he, the Satan now is bound and he's bound for a long time, a thousand years, it says here. So uh, what's happening here is that the thousand year of Christ, Christ shows that he has the upper, upper hand that, that uh, yes, they look like they're working against God's people and they're succeeding. And God says, no, I'm putting them down now. And it'll be a long time before they can do something like that again. All right, so that's the that's the gist of Revelation 20, that Satan is bound, that is, he's limited. It says in verse 3, from deceiving the nations so that they can't do what they were doing then. They can't do that as a national power. They're not going to be able to do that again. And so Satan has been bound, and Christ has been given, uh, given the, the upper hand and uh, is reigning now. He's the one that is obviously the one who brought Satan down and kept him from being able to do what he was doing against the church. So that's the gist of the thousand year reign of, of revelation 21 through six. Appreciate it. Uh, Brian, go ahead. Let me just make a, a quick suggestion. Revelation is a difficult book. It has a lot of uh, difficult images. Uh, I often say the most important verse in revelation is chapter one, verse one, which tells us that the things that the book of Revelation speaks about were things that were occurring or soon to occur in the time of the writer. And uh, keeping that context in mind, that's how you approach Revelation. As far as trying to understand Revelation 20, rather than saying, well, here's what I think, let me just suggest that the way to study Revelation 20 is to look at what other passages in the Bible say about things like reign or kingdom or uh, crown, all, a throne, all the words that re revolve around that. And look around at different passages that describe the reign of Christ that saints and saints reigning with him. And what, um, what I'm going to suggest you're probably going to find is you're going to see that the reign of Christ uh, we'll see spoken of was something that was about to happen when Jesus arrives and John the Baptist preaches that Jesus receives all authority when he arises from the grave, that uh, that we're admitted into his kingdom with him and we've been transferred into that kingdom. And you'll you'll find by taking other passages, and this is an important Bible study tool, take parallel statements and put them together to flush out an idea of what the Bible is trying to say. The scriptures are meant to be used as the idea of two or more witnesses testifying to something. 
So you don't just say one passage, you try to put multiple passages together as a testimony to an idea. And that's an important way of thinking. That's how we understand scripture, by using multiple passages to testify to an idea. So, so that would be my recommendation. Use other passages that speak about the same things. You know, one thing we don't see in Revelation 20 verses 1 through 6 is second coming of Christ. No reference to Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. But we do know from other passages that Jesus is reigning over his people. And he has been reigning ever since he ascended back to, uh, to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And uh, began to uh, send forth the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so this passage, as Terry and Brian have both pointed out, it's in a, a book of figures. Not everything in the book of Revelation is figurative. Uh, I have heard it said that uh, if the common sense makes sense, seek no other sense. But Jesus has been reigning for more than a thousand years. And because uh, it's been nearly 2,000 years, if not 2,000 years, since he uh, ascended back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And so the passage is not literal or his reign would have ended a thousand years ago. And so it's talking about his reign, but it doesn't say anything about him coming back to earth and reigning on the earth. Uh, also, it doesn't say uh, anything about, uh, uh, again, about a literal throne on earth at all. Some teach that Jesus is coming back at the end of the thousand years uh, to establish a kingdom on earth. Nothing about that in the Bible. And uh, he's reigning from heaven and he will reign as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, until the end when he shall come and deliver up the kingdom to God. And so I hope, hope that will help. The thousand years has to be figurative, a, a, a glorious reign, uh, a long reign of unspecified time, but the thousand years is used as a figure to designate a long reign. All right. Appreciate those comments. Our next question we just got in is a live question. Uh, my question is about where Jesus said, I am God in the Bible, where he said, worship me. That's a good question. Uh, who wants to take that one first? Well, you know what? First of all, the, the questioner, great question. The questioner needs to realize that the Gospels were written by Jesus's followers. And he said that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all the truth. So if the Gospels call Jesus God, then that's Jesus calling himself God, like John 1, 1. But if you're looking for a place where Jesus in the Gospels made that direct claim, may I suggest to you John 14, verse 9, he who has seen the Father has seen me. Okay, or he who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay, that, that demands equality there. In John chapter 5 and in verse 23, so that all will honor the son even as they honor the father if the son is equal and with equal honor with the father and if the father's god then the son is god how about john 8 24 or excuse me uh, john 8 and in verse uh, 58 truly i say to you before abraham was born i am and that's the language of exodus that's the language that God in Exodus uses for himself. So those are at least three places. If you're looking for like another place where his followers speaking by the Holy Spirit, speaking him, speaking through them. How about Colossians 2, 9? 
where it says in him all the fullness of deity that which makes god god dwells in bodily form so Amen. those are at least some passages to start with on the god aspect of things Brian, one thing that confuses a lot of people is they say i want to see a statement where jesus says explicitly i am god but you know what's interesting you don't find a statement where jesus explicitly says i am the son of god i am the christ Jesus performed things and did things that then revealed who he was, and the expectation is that we would confess him as such. That's an important part of the identity of Jesus. Uh, in fact, one of the things in the book of John that's fascinating is they say, why won't you plainly tell us? And Jesus will say, hey, what I've done tells you. My works tell you. The, old, the scriptures tell you. You should be able to believe that. Um, we're reminded of you know Lazarus and the rich man, where Abraham says, Hey, if they won't believe what the word of God says, then they wouldn't believe if, you know, the dead rise. They wouldn't believe if Jesus specifically said. But Jesus himself uh, accepted uh, the adoration of being called God. He was worshipped in John chapter 20. Thomas falls down and worships him, calls him God. Uh, Jesus says, hey, no, 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 you got that wrong. Uh, that's the point of being the Christ, the son of God, is that Jesus saw the importance of our confessing him as such. Now, um, you know, the only other passage I might throw to what uh, Mark mentioned is that Jesus does say before Abraham was, I am. He does make that I am declaration. Well, we could say seven times in the book of John, I am being the name of God, Jehovah. So in fact, it's, it's understood that way because they pick up stones to stone him when he says it. So, you know, he does, he does take that name as his own, but to be clear, Jesus expects that we're to come to that conclusion. We are to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Brian, and these things are written so that you will believe. Uh, go ahead. Yep. Go ahead, Mark. Brian, those are great observations. Even when he said, uh, if you love father or mother, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. He claimed to be like, number one, you have to mo love me above everything else. That's clearly a claim of, of, of to put God first. And that's who he's claimed to be. And also, um, the I am's, I am the good shepherd, which means that he is the shepherd of Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. He doesn't say, I'm going to point you to the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Yeah. I would also point out, as you pointed out, Mark, that uh, Jesus said the apostles would be guided into all truth. And here's something Paul, by the Spirit, said in Philippians 2. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth. Everything bows to Jesus. That's worship. Uh, and then you find in Revelation uh, 5, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that is in them. I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever the lamb being jesus so so all the spirit revelation says jesus is worthy to be honored as deity amen bob 
you know, there's just so many passages that we we could be here for an hour and a half and not go through all of them. But in John chapter five and verse 17, John, uh, John tells us that Jesus answered his enemies saying, my father has been working until now and I have been working. This is to defend him healing on the Sabbath day. And in verse 18, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, he didn't, but they were claiming that he did, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus' enemies could see that. They could draw that necessary inference that if Jesus, if, if Jesus was the son of God, if God was his father, he was the son of God and he was God just as I am the son of a man, and therefore I am a man. Uh, if a man was my father, then I, I am a man. And, uh, and so uh, he did say that. Uh, can we find it in, in quotation marks? No, but it's implied by almost everything he did and said. Yeah, good thoughts. I do want to say to the questioner, uh, you know, I hope, hope we've given you some things to think about if someone's challenging your beliefs, but, but if if you believe that Jesus is not the son of God, then please email us questions at answering You know, let us know your reasons why you don't believe it. Let us know your reasons why you're asking the question. Cause we, we want to help you come to faith um, in Jesus as the son of God, uh, as God in the flesh, as the one who was resurrected from the grave. Uh, we, we put our, our faith in those things. Um, I do want to show one more here. John, uh, Chris Kramer says, John 10, 13 or John 10, 30, excuse me. I am the father are one and so it's very clear who the identity of jesus is all right that is all the time we have for today for our live bible q a if we did not get to your bible question today we will next week wednesday 12 p.m eastern time tune in then and uh, also you can catch us on our podcast uh for for today's show and all the previous shows we'd encourage you if, uh, if you've missed those tune into those and uh check out the archive because there's great questions and they'll give you a kind of a just a round about uh, studying, you know, being able to look at all these different questions and, and build your faith and encourage you for the day uh, as you as you work through those uh, as you work through the study and the material that we, we produce here. Brian, Mark, Terry, Bob, appreciate you so much. Any other last minute comments before we close today? Study to show yourself approved unto God. Yep. That's who we've got to please. And if you you tuned in, that means you're interested in studying. And we appreciate you so much. Absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, we yeah, will good see to be on you. the show. Yep. We will see y'all uh, next week, next Tuesday, as we deal with keeping my head on straight, which is every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And so we, you can find us on Facebook as well as YouTube and Twitter and podcast. Any of your favorite podcast platforms, you'll be able to find our Tuesday night shows. We do air every Tuesday at 8 p.m. for keeping my head on straight. Last night, we dealt with the subject of admonishing the unfaithful. Uh, perhaps you are dealing with that in your own local congregation. Um, maybe you have some uh, some members who are who are not faithful. They are weak in the faith. They have uh, allowed sin to creep into their lives and cause them to, to be led astray. And you don't know how to warn them. You don't know how to bring them out of the fire that they're currently in. You don't know how to deal with the situation of the fact that, hey, I'm supposed to treat them as a brother, but they're also walking as an enemy of God right now. And so, you know, how do I how do I deal with that? Um and so if that is something that uh, you struggle with, we'd encourage you to go to our archive on YouTube and Facebook and uh, watch that study with the uh, Answering Religious Error, Keeping My Head On Straight. And that is every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, where we try to help you keep your head on straight, spiritually speaking. 
And then Wednesdays is our live Bible Q&A every Wednesday. And uh, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. If you do have a Bible question, we take all Bible questions. We do our very best to give you a Bible answer and spend time on the questions. Uh, we don't want to just give you a quick answer. We want you. We know that you're you're wondering about that. We know that, you know, that's that's your question that you need help with that uh, maybe builds your faith, maybe encourage you to to continue strong in the Lord. And so ask your question. We'll spend time with it and give you the best answer we can to help you in your studies. Uh, we also have our podcast with Mark Dunnigan every Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. And so if you're getting ready for work and you need something to listen to, it's about a 20 minute show and it's the daily answer. So you've got questions and Mark Dunnigan has got the answer from the Bible for you. And so check out the daily answer on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, all of the above. And uh, be be it's just a great show. I mean, it, it, he brings entertainment to it, but he brings the Bible in a perspective that is just going to really lift you up for the day. And so check him out every Monday through Friday, 5 a.m., Eastern time. We do have Bob's Bible Basics. That's on Mondays at 8 p.m. You can find him on Facebook and on YouTube. And that's the Bob that was on the show today in the panel. And he just works through the Bible. He just goes to the text and he just gives you the basics of the Bible. That's what you need, especially if you're a new Christian, a new convert, or you're just needing to uh, grow in some particular areas. You need some foundational teaching. Well, Bob's Bible Basics is found on Facebook, YouTube every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you're a sister out there who is interested in spiritual things, you want to be better mother, you want to be a better servant in the local church, you want to be a better wife, well, check out Older Women Likewise. That's a show for women by women every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook and on YouTube. And they're also on podcast on your favorite uh, podcast platform. Older Women Likewise every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. That's all the time we have for today. Appreciate you tuning in and we will see you next week. God bless.